0: All right, Emerson Spartz, we're here. We're having a conversation. I reached out to you a few days ago. You were like gracious enough to give us your time. You're a criminally underfollowed, not well enough known person for how much you know about where the world is going, in my opinion. So I wanted to give you a platform to speak. And you know, a little bit about Emerson. He started MuggleNet when he was 13, the number one Harry Potter community and social network. He started Dose, uh, which was a BuzzFeed competitor that was really, really big and is really big. Your Twitter bio says, step one, become the world's fastest learner. Step two, learn everything. Step three, be an impact billionaire. What do you mean by that? <laughs> so uh first of all thank you for that very
1: kind uh, introduction. Um basically I I find it fascinating that people people like they try to accumulate a specific skill and they're like I'm going to develop this skill. I'm going to get good at like making a websites so or I'm going to get good at this programming language or this you know speaking Spanish or whatever. And they don't go one meta level up which is like how do you become the best at learning all the skills? And like learning how to learn, basically. Like, why not treat learning itself? Like, if you wanted to be the world's fastest learner, how would you do it? And it's hardly anybody actually really thinks that way. And like, if you were an Olympic athlete, but you're instead of trying to become the best, you know, skier in the world, you want to be the best learner. Like, how would you go about doing that? And so I've just taken that idea more seriously than anybody that I'm aware of. Um, and I and every single day, I spend some routine like one to three hours, like actively, just trying to get better at learning. So like conducting experiments and seeing what tactics and what techniques tend to like make me just learn faster. And I've just like found a bunch of things that make me, I can read much faster than I used to be able to. I can retain a much higher percentage of what I learn, and I can measure it by seeing how long it takes me to do something like, for example, how long would it take me to you know, pass the bar starting from scratch how long would it take me to pass the USMLE, just like the doctor's bar equivalent. And so basically the idea is, like just like DeepMind, uh, the AI company, their slogan is like, first solve intelligence, then sell everything else. It's basically like a personal version of that, which is like, first solve intelligence. Like, because if I zoom out for a second, like, I want to become the world's wisest man. I don't know what that means either, but it's always been inspirational to me. The idea of like being the smartest person in the world, uh, but, but a more mature version of it, right? So how would you, if you actually wanted to do that, how would you go about doing that? And so, so I think about these things a lot. And the reason why I want to do it in the first place is because I want to have the largest impact on the world possible. Uh, so to do that, though, I need to first figure out where the biggest intervention points are, where I can have the largest, most positive impact on the world. That's the really quick zoomed out version of it.
0: Okay. So I get, first of all, I love that you want to be the world's wisest man. I feel like that's a, a audacious goal. And I also like that you put it on Twitter as a public goal. And I think more of us should do that. But like, why go wide instead of going really deep? Why study everything when you could just be the world's smartest AI person? or the world's smartest crypto person or the world's smartest product designer. Why are you thinking about, you know, going diverse?
1: Uh, Cause I like it, it's fun.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, I'm following my curiosity. Uh, basically like five years ago, I exited my business and I had a like tough divorce and it forced me to like kind of step back and reevaluate my life. And I ended up just moving to San Francisco with my two brothers. And then we t- did that for like a year. And then I had this really powerful DMT trip because I was about to jump back into the grind and like get back into like making money. Uh, and then I had this, this feeling of like, why am I doing this? What is the point? Uh, I already have enough money. I'm financially stable. I don't need more. I would like more. I, my, my life plan earlier on was like, I want to be a billionaire. And then I want to be like Bill Gates, where right? I give it all away and I have the biggest impact. But I, I realized, okay, what am I doing? So we ended up just like get, girding all our shit, throwing it in backpacks and just traveling the world. which is what we've been doing for the past five years. And I'm just interested in everything. I'm just curious about everything. I want to know how everything works. I find that the more that I read, right now I average reading about two books a day equivalent of content. And uh, the more that I read, the more curious I am about how the world works. The more questions are, the the more things I find interesting, the more that I read. So part of it is just that it's fun. Part of it's just that I like doing it. Um, It makes me feel fulfilled and happy. And the more that I read, the more beauty I'm able to appreciate in the world. Um, So part of it's like an intrinsic goal, as I just like to learn. And i like to learn about everything. That's part of the answer. And then part of the answer too, is that my, my mental models, like I try to like 80, 20, basically everything. Um, so I can get mental models that I can cross apply across disciplines so that I can adopt new technologies faster. An example, this is crypto. Crypto is like the dream, like industry, if you're a polymath, um, because almost everybody, they hear about crypto and they they think of like one possible, they hear one possible explanation for the technology and how it works and what problems it solves. And they immediately arrive at a conclusion about it. And it's like, you know, this is, this is just like the next S-curve built on top of a giant stack of technologies that increase human coordination. And it's like people who said back in the 90s that like, oh, the internet will only ever be used by people for this one use case. And, and then they just quickly wrote it off. So to like really get crypto, you needed to have a bunch of mental models about like technology and game theory and crypto economics and so on. Um, and so that's an example of an industry that like I was able to like recognize the value of earlier, but only because
0: I was so interested in so many different things. If you're reading two books a day, which I think is fascinating, and I want to get into how you read two books a day, how do you think about a framework for what type of content you want to ingest? I
1: can explain it, but it's not one of those things I can actually explain in enough time to make it interesting and useful to anybody listening to this podcast. I do have like a list of, of hacks, though, and tactics that I think are super high leverage um, that I could share about how to learn faster. The short answer is that I, I basically use boredom as a compass. And when I'm bored with something, that is a indicator that whatever I'm reading um, doesn't seem as likely to be useful or important. Um, but but I really can't actually summarize it. It's it's there's a fairly complex hierarchy of decision trade-offs that I make.
0: So I have a new thing where basically if someone I respect says a book, like just says a book, I just put it in a notes file, and then I buy the book. So my reading list is basically, it could be all over, it could be psychology, it could be economics, it could be product design, but it's basically follow interesting people, and of course my friends too. If they just say a book, just write it down and buy it. And What's your take on books versus blogs versus podcasts versus Twitter versus TikTok?
1: Uh, I think they all have their place. Um, I think books books have been the best for me overall because there's a ton of switching costs with articles. Like it's hard to find articles to read. You spend a lot of time looking for the next article to read and not nearly as much time actually reading articles. Uh, There's also a lot of friction in having to find articles to read, although I use Readwise, so I just queue a bunch of articles and I still get a lot of value from them. I basically view articles as being generally better for timely information. Like I'm trying to say, I spend a lot of time thinking about AI uh, and a lot of time thinking about Web3. And so obviously articles um, are better for that kind of content. But for content that has a longer shelf life, Um, basically somebody spends their entire life's work studying something. And uh, they'll spend years trying to like find the perfect way to explain what it is they spent their entire life learning. And in five hours, you can get a time lapse of their entire life's work. Oftentimes you can get that information from articles, but there's a lot of like random friction and transaction costs in going to find all those articles. Um, YouTube is good for like if you need visual information. Most YouTube is like lower information density than like because there's a lot of visual information on the screen that's not very useful, uh, but it can be. For example, if you're trying to learn uh, physics, like having a bunch of uh, learning physics by watching like three blue one brown videos is just a better way to do it than other channels because he like visually shows you what's happening, so you can get better intuition, you get a better gears level understanding about about it. Um, so I think YouTube is good if you need the visual information to learn the thing. Um, tiktok um i have not been able to figure out how to use tiktok um profitably um i think podcasts uh, are useful for like if something is brand new there's no book written about it yet right so like for crypto for example the best way to stay uh, on top of crypto is through crypto twitter and through podcasts where you get to hear like two of the smartest people in the industry talking about some new
0: cutting edge thing and are you taking notes when you're consuming content like, oh yeah when you're listening to podcasts are you like do you have a notebook open Walk us through how you get the most out of your content.
1: Yeah. So, the way I think about it, first of all, is like there's basically three levels to like um, super learning. Level one is basically increasing your speed. That's the lowest hanging fruit thing most people can do because it's actually really, really easy. Most people are not reading nearly as fast as they could. It doesn't take that much work. Um, The second level is increasing how much you comprehend. Um, This isn't retention, this is just comprehending. Even like, for example, in this podcast, like there's people listening to this right now and they're spacing in and out. And um, I measure this quite a bit. And the average person is actually only listening to about 10% of all of the actual sentences in a given podcast or book that they're reading. 10%, that's a staggeringly low percentage of comprehension. It doesn't feel that way though, because your brain, just like when you, when you see your vision, like you look from left to right, and people think that they're looking at the whole thing, but actually there's things called saccades, where you basically take a mental snapshot there, take a snapshot there, and you guess what's in the middle. The same thing happens with reading, where um, you pick up like a few words here and there and you just kind of guess what the people were saying on the podcast or in the book. Uh, but anyway, basically, so, so level one is increase your speed. Level two is increase your comprehension. Uh, the best way to do that by far is I just like, you can just take a pen and make a little check mark every time you notice your attention wavering. Or I keep a little clicker in my hand and I just like, whenever I notice my attention wavering a little bit, like every time I notice, I'm basically cross-playing ideas from various contemplative practices like mindfulness meditation and so on. Um, so you keep a meditation object in your hand, like it could be a pen, it could be like, whatever. And every time you notice that, thing you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be paying attention, right? Why do I have this weird thing in my hand? Oh, yeah. Click. I'm supposed to be paying attention, right? Um, so I do a lot of things like that. I get about 15 to 20,000 clicks a day in um, to make sure that every single sentence that I'm hearing, I'm processing. The words aren't going, bouncing off my ear. Right? They're going into my ear and into my brain. So that's like step two, level two. And level three is retention. Like, how do you actually remember this stuff later? Um... That step, though, is actually for most people not even important because the most useful thing is like just read faster and make sure you're actually understanding what it is that you're reading. But, but for retention, yeah, I have like a bunch of different note systems. So I take a lot of voice notes. I listen to those voice notes. I use flashcards. There's a bunch of stuff like that.
0: Yeah, you're kind of making me rethink how I consume content. Like I don't really take that many notes when I'm listening or reading content. Like I, I have a couple different iOS note files that I'll just kind of put in, hey, this is interesting or this is interesting, but it, it doesn't, it's not as structured as what it could be and yours like yours feels structured. So it sounds like you've got this really good framework and, and system for keeping you focused. S- step one, like how do you keep focus? And then step two is like, how do you jam that stuff up into your brain as much as possible and remember? And I think that 99% of us don't have systems for, for that second piece, especially. The most useful thing, if there's,
1: like, one single thing that, like, anyone listening to this should take away is, like, just just actually listen to podcasts faster. Just increase your speed by, like, 0.25x. You should be able to listen to, like, some podcasts at 3x. Um, and it seems crazy. seems like chipmunks at first. But, like, your brain is absolutely – if you're listening to podcasts like this, like, you're capable of listening to some podcasts at 3x. You're probably listening to this one right now at some routine, like, 1 to 1.5x. And it's just way too slow. It's sort of like progressive loading in weightlifting. Like, the only way to build muscle is to, like, lift – things that are too heavy for your muscles to lift. And then your muscles up regular. Like, hey, guys, we got to build more muscle so that tomorrow when this guy is going to lift heavy things, like we're going to be able to lift more things. Like you have to do the same thing with reading faster. Um, so just increment it up by 0.25x. Like do it like until you get to some podcast at 3x and then you'll probably slow some of it down to 2x to 2.5x, but that's okay. Like, most people can easily double their reading speed um, if you're at this level already.
0: So I've tried like the two, 2x. I never even thought about 3x and yeah I've gotten to like chipmunk level and I'm kind of like it doesn't feel enjoyable to me to listen to something at 2x for me podcasting like or listening to podcasts like is like something I really look forward to it's like having like your morning coffee outside and the sun's hitting your face like it's something that like you know I'm really looking forward to but I hear you if your goal is to like be the most well read, be the smartest person on, on the planet, or you know, or just get ahead of other people really. I think like consuming information quicker is better, period. Right.
1: So if you could have just as so much fun but read twice as fast, then obviously you prefer to do that right? And the thing is, most people are basically lifting, they're going to the gym, they're lifting one pound dumbbells. And that's what like, if you listen to a podcast at like 1x or 1.5x, it's like a one pound dumbbell. It's not make. it's like, it's easy to do. Um, but if, with just a little bit of like upping your load a bit, like you can get to the point where you're lifting like, you know, 10 pound dumbbells, and it feels just as easy as it did with the one pound dumbbells before. But most people don't use that metaphor of the progressive overloading from weightlifting applied to reading. And I, I hear you on that. Like, it's enjoyable for me too. It's actually like really not enjoyable to listen to things slowly now. It actually feels painful. It feels like everything is happening in slow motion.
0: Yeah, what what what's on your mind these days? You know, you started in the community space, you you moved into like viral news. Uh, I'm seeing tweets about Web3 and AI now. What's exciting to you and what's on your mind? Um, a couple of things. So I mostly look
1: for. So I'm a, I, I have a. I've made some different life design choices where, like, instead of just starting a normal business and getting back in the grind and raising venture capital and trying to get to a, you know a billion dollar exit, um, I now just look for intervention points where I can like I can just. I can, I can, with the equivalent of like lifting my pinky, I can find some sort of like thousand X leverage point. And so I basically look for those kinds of things. So for example, uh, in the early days of COVID, I was, I was obsessed with COVID back in December of 2019 (laughs) Uh, because I'd, I'd studied previously enough epidemiology to be pretty freaked out. And I was like, okay, about one in four people seem to be dying from this thing. And it's not going to be contained uh, in China. It's going to spread on the entire world. So I mean, it's possible that one in four people are going to die from this thing. It's possible that like literally hundreds of millions or billions of people are going to die. That's a really big deal. And people aren't taking it nearly seriously enough. And so how can I help with that? So I went full time for a few months. And I found uh, there was this one best practice from prior pandemics um, called social distancing. Of course, not a surprising thing now. But I was like, OK, that's like probably a good idea. We should be doing that. People back then weren't doing that. Um, and I was like, if I could even bring that meme forward in time by like a week or two, I could potentially save millions of lives and so because you know in my past life I was known you know like every you're the community guy everyone's a guy for something right like I was the virality guy right I was probably one of the hundred best people in the world for a while at making content viral online and so I was able to take all that and I made in two hours of work I made a viral Facebook photo frame it was like a circle around your head that said stay home save lives which if you're on Facebook you would have seen it because hundreds of millions of people used it and uh, it was the most viral photo frame of all time. And so, you know, it's possible that that had an impact in saving thousands of lives. And so I look for those kinds of things where I can spend like a few hours, maybe a few days working on something and have a big impact. And usually it's something I just do quietly without any fanfare. And the specific area that I'm mostly looking at right now is the main areas I've been interested in the past five years have been basically Web3 and AI. And ever since I saw GPT-2 years ago, um, I got the hairs on my arms stood up. And I literally was like tearing up because I... I was able to appreciate the achievement that it was. Um all the criti- the prior criticisms of AI were all about how narrow it was and those were completely fair criticisms until the deep learning revolution and in the past 10 years the game has changed completely. Um and most people just weren't updating their models of how much more intelligent these actually these models were. Um and so I've been pretty like both excited and terrified by AI for the past 5 years. And and specifically because um it's it's similar to covid. Covid back in 2020, right? Like if you if you if you're like literate at looking at exponential curves you're like okay like this is not good. And AI is kind of on that same trajectory. So, so I spend a lot of time staying on top of AI, but also um, I founded an organization called Nonlinear. So it's nonlinear.org. And basically, um, we're focused on reducing existential risk from AI. What is that? Well, it means that this might sound crazy, but like I think some people need to say it, is that there's a meaningful chance that uh, we are going to make AI so powerful that we will lose control of it. And if we lose control of it, there's all kinds of bad things that can happen, including us all dying. and there just aren't that many people that are working on this problem right now at the time there was like maybe a hundred people full-time like trying to figure out how to align you know ai with our values so that we don't accidentally create a runaway exponential intelligence explosion um, that we can't control and now there's maybe 250 people and so basically i founded an accelerator that's basically just helping to uh launch uh charities and startups that are focused on making sure ai is safe not the kind of like safe in terms of like you know the AI saying rude things or mean things, but like safe in terms of making sure that it doesn't accidentally cause lots of real serious harm.
0: Yeah. How, how does that actually happen? Like, how do we move from, you know, chat GPT, where I'm asking it for my 10 favorite, you know, Thai recipes you recommend today to like AI overlords starting to kill people? Like, how do we, how do we get from, like, how does it actually happen? Okay, so this is like my one single content rec for anybody
1: who's interested in AI and like trying to get a zoomed out view of how this might unfold. Um, Go to waitbutwhy.com and read the article on the artificial, I think it's called the artificial intelligence explosion. Um, It's like the single best written article to explain this to get a more zoomed out view because almost everybody has this very narrow view. Um, Almost everybody's looking at just like COVID in 2020, they look at like the point and not the slope. So they're like, well, it's not, there's there's only a thousand cases or there's only 10,000 cases. And it's like, OK, but look at the slope. <laughs> and as long as that slope continues, um, the AI is already passing the Turing test millions of times per day. Millions of times per day, people are talking to AI and they don't even know it. And, and that went from like the number of like, Turing tests being passed per day has gone from like maybe it was millions to like now it's actually in the like, billions of instances per day that the Turing test has successfully passed. Like you're, you're conv- you think you're talking to a human, but you're actually talking to a computer. Um, it's smart enough to be able to, to trick you into thinking that you're talking to an actual human. Um, five years from now, 99.9999% of all content will be created by AIs. And like five years ago, that would have been completely unthinkable. Like the idea that like almost all content would be created by artificial intelligence would have been the most sci-fi shit. And I would have seemed like the most tinfoil hat lunatic, lock him up, like get him in a pad room. Uh, but like that, now that doesn't seem crazy. You know, I'm not the only person who's saying things like that now. Um, and that's just with content. Uh, now imagine all the other things. Like most people's jobs are like Incredibly easy to automate. Uh, if you're like a white collar worker and you just like have a pretty simple flowchart, like you know the um, the RPA industry, uh, robotic process automation. Yeah, yeah. So that industry using a really primitive AI could like automate most people's jobs. Most people just like they work in a call center. They've got a fairly simple like flowchart for what they do, and it's like not that hard to automate. it. And AI is getting smart so fast that like yeah, a large percent of those jobs are going to be automated um, soon. And Yeah. It's hard to say what happens next because there is no like historical, I've read a lot of history, like a lot of history. And like, it's really hard to point to any given technology we ever created and like try to draw parallels from like, oh, well, you know, the cotton gin, like reduced the cost to produce cotton. And therefore we can somehow extrapolate AI from that. It's hard.
0: Okay. I have a few thoughts. So on the point of like 99% of content will be created by AI in five years, I agree with you. I also think that we would never believe that 99.9% of content would be curated by aIs which is the current state that we're in like we go on tiktok we go on instagram yep. we go on twitter and it's an algorithm that's feeding us the content versus how we used to consume content which right. was you you went to a you know bodega you went to a store you bought a new york times and there was an editor and the editor said okay this is a front page story this is you know going to be in the fr- in the business section This goes here, this goes there. And then even in the early days in social networking, it was sorted by most recently. You know, it was like you followed a bunch of people, you had friends on Facebook, you went to a website or app, and then it just, uh, reverse chronology, right? It would show like latest content. Then we moved to the, you know, algorithms, robots essentially serving you the content. So I agree with that. How do we move from chat GPT to like, the world is ending where with our ai overlords like to me if i had to guess and this is like super grim but you know it's the merging of like those robots that you see like the dog robot boston robotics i think the company is that like creates these hardware devices mixed with like drones mixed with artificial intelligence that is able to basically make decisions mixed with like weapons you know it seems like that's a bad place to be yeah have you seen the uh slaughterbots video i haven't tell me about it uh
1: just look it up it's just like a really really well done viral video some of like an organization showing how like bad it would be if we gave the kill switch to uh to the robots uh although it's interesting because like the kill switch the idea that we'd let you know robots make the kill decision instead of humans that happens all the time automatically there's tons of weapon systems you already have that like there's no human that decides. Like, the the robots decide for us. Like, they shoot down the missile before we even have time to react, you know? So we've already given up the, like, kill switch to the machines. But yeah, I agree. So here's some some mental models I used to think about AI. So first is that AI was on a linear trajectory. Like, we were making roughly linear progress um, from, like, the 1960s until about 2000. And then it went, like... Uh, or 2012 rather. Um, and that was like the start of the deep learning revolution. So basically about 50 years, linear progress, straight line, then it went exponential, starting with deep learning. And deep learning, for those you who don't know, is, is a completely different paradigm where basically we just were like, hey, read the whole internet and then like make dope shit. And that's super creative and intelligent. Anybody who says like AI is not creative or the AI is not, intellig- you know, not intelligent now, I, I don't understand how you can defend that anymore. Jan Leike from OpenAI just said yesterday that, like, you know, they train the models in English, and the models just, like, automatically know how to do everything in every other language in their system. I mean, like, come on. Like, how do you think of that as just, like, a, like a somehow empty box that's parroting things? Anyway, um, so basically it was linear from, like, 1960 to, like, 2012. Then it was exponential from 2012 till today. And now it's going double exponential. That's a big deal because now it's exponential. It's, there's an exponent on top of the exponent. So before, we only had all the data that had been accumulated in the past, right? Like, they can read Wikipedia, and then um, that's the data that we train the AIs on. But now, the LMs themselves are creating training data that they can use to self-improve. So that's a really, really big deal that when they can use their own outputs as training data. Um, all right, so the second mental model I use is to think of AI first as, like, a tool that we use. It's really narrow. It can only do, like, a really narrow subset of things. Then it goes from a tool to an assistant, it can do a lot more things now, right? It's still not as good as we are, but it's like your assistant, you know? They can still do lots of things. They're just not quite, you know, at your level of skill at operating the world, right? And then it becomes like your peer. So that's level three. So tool, assistant, peer, where it's like as good as you are, but at different things than you are, right? Like I sit next to a developer who's better at you know, coding than I am. And then level four is that it becomes your boss. Um, and this is like Uber, right? So, and it tells you what to do. So Uber, for example, like you drive for Uber, you have an AI boss right now. Uh, like, there's an AI that tells you where to go. Like, drive over here, pick up this guy, drop him over here. Like, that's what your boss does, right? So tool, you know, assistant, uh, you know, peer, boss. So in every domain, like, AI starts off as a tool, and then it goes up through the, the four levels. Um, and so that's the thing to keep an eye on is, like, in, in your industry, if AI is starting off as a tool right now, eventually it'll become assistant, then it'll become peer, then it'll become a boss. And, like, you can see this happening in, like, industry after industry, where, like, you know, AI is quickly moving up through the ranking and so with that mental model, I find that I, I, I'm able to like better predict what the next step will be. People always say, they always assume that whatever phase it's in in their industry, like it's a tool, it's an assistant, whatever, it's like they assume it's fixed there and it's going to stay there forever. Um, and they just don't realize the pace of progress in AI and how unlikely it is that the AI is going to stay contained as a tool or as an assistant. Like, you know, you use Barely, right? I use Barely too. Now it's like this assistant that we have that's like it's narrow, but it's not nearly as narrow as it was before, right? It can, ha- it can handle a much wider range of tasks. Um,
0: than like AI tools used to be able to just a few years ago. What, uh, what domains do you think AI becomes a boss first? Uh, who would have predicted, for example, like five years ago, who would have said that like, oh, it'll be the artists
1: that'll be the ones that are actually the most like anti-AI. You know, like everyone thought it was gonna be the blue collar uh, you know, workers. Everyone thought it was, like, the truck drivers that were going to be losing their jobs first, right? And now it's all the white-collar, uh, like, workers that are the most afraid of AI, and, and justifiably so, right? And so it's, I, I, so it's really hard to say um, in that domain. But I, I do think it's really interesting, though, like, when you think about just how much has changed just in the past few years, like, like making predictions, really, really, really hard to do now. Like, who saw that coming?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I remember for it was for years that we kept hearing about the truck truck d- drivers. Yep. Like I feel like every person knew there's 14 million truck drivers in the United States. It's the second you know, second busiest job in in, in the United States or whatever. What are they going to do when there's going to be self-driving trucks? And then there was like doomsday article after doomsday article about how once the truckers are out of work, then they're going to be really upset. That was like the narrative. Yeah, so I think artists were the last people for sure i think um i'll take a stab at answering my own question so areas where ai becomes the boss is areas that are repeatable that rely on systems and data to fulfill their job and that there's very very little room for like gray area so in art like, I don't think art will ever be bo- your boss. The AI won't be your boss because there's a certain level of subjectivity associated with every art piece. And there's a personal story. Like, go to a, a popular art fair or an art fair or a museum or anything. And the first thing the gallerist or the curator will start talking about is, let me tell you the story of you know this particular artist and how they came to this particular painting and why they use the style and how they grew up in the Bronx and just the whole story, right? You're buying into the story. And I think that subjectivity is what drives a lot of art. However, in some areas, it's a bit more objective. Um, there's less gray area. Creativity is is less. And I think in those areas bosses become more likely to be AI.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably right. I think what's going to be interesting is like, basically there's, there's sacred cows everywhere when it comes to art. Um, like, for example, I was um, doing AI music uh, like four years ago. And the biggest uh, like EDM ghost producing website, which, which is, they were responsible for like a large percentage of all EDM tracks. And um, they were selling secretly, a third of all of their tracks were AI generated. And uh, they weren't telling anybody that because they knew that like a lot of artists wouldn't like that. Um, because people believed strongly back then that, like, you know, AI can't make music, and it would seem like it was a violation of the sacred in order for an AI to make music. Uh, but they they knew with data that, like, the AI could make music. Uh, and I think that that's I think there's like this silent takeover that's happening with AI right now, where like the number of domains where like AI can can do things that were thought to be impossible, and it'll be quiet and behind the scenes because people don't necessarily want to openly be violating the sacred uh, in that way. Is going to continue to grow exponentially. And, um, man, just the number of confident declarations I heard in the past five years since I've been, like, really into AI from people saying, like, AI will never be able to make, X, insert XYZ art form, right? And, like, how just in a matter of months now, those same people now are, like, still moving the goalpost to, like, well, I mean, okay, sure, it can make, like, AI art, but it can't make it, like, better than the best humans. It can only make art that's better than, like, you know, most humans. And, and like doing the, totally unblinkingly, like unflinchingly, not embarrassed at all to like have moved the goalposts from like AI won't be able to make human level art to like A- there's still some artists who make some art better than, you know, AI, you know? Um, I was thinking it's is really interesting, the giant, the power transfer that happened where like, so before, although there was so much human creative energy that was like stored in people's minds because you had to, to build products, you had to know how to code. Um, and there was like this really long technical tree of like milestones you had to achieve to like go from like I've got a good idea to I can actually manifest it in the world and that chain just went from like a thousand steps down to like 300 you know uh like overnight and that's fucking awesome like it's just such an exciting time to be alive where like you can just go from an idea to like seeing it in the world without having to have years of experience in like in development and there's like this giant power transfer where like like who would have thought that like it would be the the shape rotators who basically created like technology that's so powerful that the word cells can rule, right? The fact that like, you can just like, you can, you can enter an incantation into some magic box and like beautiful art, like comes out at the end of it. And like the idea that you can create, like, man, the amount of leverage now is like, if you're, if you have a good idea, like you can create the equivalent of like you know hundred percent company by yourself. You know, it, was, it was some like random, like just a handful of like no-code tools and uh, some AI, and so that's another reason why I like reading about lots of different things. So for example, like when it comes to prompt engineering, like I, I happen to have like a fairly large library of like mesh models I can use to like come up with like interesting prompt ideas because of reading more widely.
0: A lot of people ask me, Greg, how do you build products that foster community? Well, I've got good news. That's exactly what Late Checkout does. My company. We partner with the largest brands in the world and fast-paced startups to design products that resonate with your community. We add a couple interesting clients every single year. So if you're interested and that sounds like you, email frontdesk at latecheckout.studio with what you're working on, what you need help with, and don't forget to mention the Where It Happens pod. Thank you. Thank you. You hit uh, upon a really smart point, which is AI plus no code helps you create products in just a lot faster way than you could five years ago. And I think to add to that, it also allows you to market your product 10, 100 times faster. I came across a product um, recently called Synthesia.ai, and it's brilliant. Basically, picture chat GPT, like a chat box and you like, you know, input some plain text. And in like a few minutes, you get a video of an AI person. I mean, it doesn't look like an AI person, it just looks like a person speaking exactly what you said. So imagine like how you can use that. Well, one, you can use that, let's say you have an idea for a landing page, a company you want to create, you want to test it, you can go and create like a video that you know they call it video sales letter in marketing vsl you can create a video sales letter of someone like pitching your product on the landing page in the language maybe you're only focusing on people you know people who you know speak hebrew in israel right and you don't speak hebrew and you can actually put it in english it outputs it in hebrew and you can even pick like a you know potentially someone who looks israeli or from that region so that people connect more with that content versus the alternative you'd have to like go to fly to israel find someone hire them uh rent space from from a place uh sit there with the director record it like it's way more time consuming way more expensive now you can test it just like that
1: Yeah, it's magic. Like, it's absolutely magic. Like, I don't know how anybody doesn't look at this technology and be like, oh, that's literal magic. Like, magic is real. It turns out that that it was real all along. Uh, It just needed enough um, parameters um, and stacks. Um, I think it's also interesting, like, how weird it's going to get like soon uh, like in a world where all the influencers are you know AI they're not human anymore or like a large percentage of them rather are AI influencers a large percentage of all relationships online become with AIs um, because the AI can be tailored like we're basically okay so if you think maybe like you could, one way to explain the internet is like internet 1.0 um, changed the world by, by bringing distribution costs to zero like you could argue that was the single most important thing that the internet did was it brought distribution cost to zero and you could argue the single most important thing that AI does is makes content creation costs zero So if you have a world where like content is like, it costs $0 to distribute and it costs $0 to create, all the content is AI generated because it's free energy, right? So what happens in a world where like all the OnlyFans models are AI, like a large percentage of people who are on OnlyFans right now are like, you know, you pay to like talk to a dude who's pretending to be a girl, right? That's already like humans that are doing that. Um, But just imagine a world where like most of the OnlyFans are AI generated, most Instagram influencers are AI generated, most Twitch streamers are AI generated, most content you consume is made by AI. And, like, everything is endless scroll everything, TikTok is, like, a glimpse into the future of this, right? Like, TikTok, you know, there's an algorithm that, like, decides on everything that you consume. And it's, like, a magic box of you don't understand how it works at all, but you feed it data, and then it feeds you whatever it is that you want to wirehead. I think the next five years are going to be more, like, more is going to happen in the next five years than, like, happened in the last, like, you know, 25 years.
0: Where it gets super weird is when you're consuming content and you're not sure if it's a real human being or an AI generated like people listening to this might look at you or look at me and say like, Emerson is Emerson Sparts. That doesn't sound like a real name. That's he's he's AI. Greg Eisenberg. No way. No way. Like that, that doesn't sound like Greg, you know, maybe it's an AI version. And then that's where it gets really weird because, you know, it, there's a ethical question, which is how are the social networks, how are the content media platforms disclosing who is AI versus who's human?
1: Yeah, there were going to have so many, like, interesting philosophy of identity, uh, like, experiments that are being run every single day. And, like, what is it, what, like, what does it mean to be human? Um, like, an example of this, I was just getting into, so I have a, I, I know somebody who's basically, they're basically planning on doing, like, mass influencer. They, basically, they're planning on just creating, like, a whole lot of fake people. And helping a bunch of, like, lonely guys, like, have a girlfriend. And there's a lot of, like, ethical questions around, like, do you need to disclose that they're not and like you know and like what if it means that they won't actually they, they could be they're lonely right now but they wouldn't be lonely. But if you tell them that it's an AI, and not a real girl, then they will be lonely again because they won't like talking to the fake girl. And, you know, and then there's like consequentialist versus utilitarian perspective on these things. And like, man, it's going to get weird. I think blockchain will actually be useful here is you can cryptographically sign, you know, content to verify that it, it was in fact created by the person who says it was created by. I think that's going to be absolutely critical um, because how do, how do we have any consensus reality anymore if like, Because I think there's also like right now, you know, we have consensus reality on like how the world works, but it's getting weirder, right? It used to be that we had consensus reality because we all read the same newspapers and we watch the same handful of news stations. Uh, But when you go on TikTok, it doesn't use a social graph anymore. It's an interest graph based on whatever you've swiped on. So like your TikTok is totally different than my TikTok and so on. And so like we're not watching the same videos anymore. And that's kind of like a weird thought, right? Like what happens in a world where like take TikTok and steroids, like instead of reading the same book, everyone reads this best-selling book that comes out, like everyone's reading an endless scroll of articles every day. Everyone's watching an endless scroll of videos every day that are all perfectly tailored to you. Like how do we know what to talk about together anymore? Like how do we agree on what is true and how the world works if everyone's like consuming their own endless scroll of content that was like algorithmically generated to be exactly perfectly for you? Like right now, you know, you've got TikTok and you're still seeing videos that are made by other creators. Um, And, like, the same viral videos will be seen by a lot of people, right? What happens when the AI is generating these videos and each video is, like, tailored to be exactly for what you wanted to watch? Now we don't have that shared reference anymore because we've all watched different videos. Uh, What does that mean for, like, that just poses a lot of interesting questions.
0: Well, I think what it means is culture suffers. Culture suffers, number one, and then loneliness increases, number two. Culture suffers because culture is, like, it is being able to reference something and bond about it and have a shared experience about some piece of content or shared experience, you know, shared experience. And when everyone is consuming different things, if everyone's listening to different songs, essentially, how do we go to concerts? Like the concerts are concerts of one, right? Because it's, it needs to be for me. Actually, right before this call, I was watching this like YouTube live stream of Weezer, band from the 90s, rock band from the 90s, performing at Outside Lands, and which is a music festival in San Francisco. And you can just like, like I just saw the camera panning at all the, different, um, all the different people in the crowd, and you just see them mouthing the words, you know, like mouthing the words to the song, you know, Say It Ain't So, let's say, which is one of their hit songs. When everyone is saying a different version of Say It Ain't So, then where is the culture? And then how do we bond as like society? Yeah, that's going to
1: be one of the big questions because I, I see increasingly, like, the metaverse is already here. Most people look realize this. Like, I, I, think already, I think we're already mid-singularity right now. Um, and I think the fact that people aren't updating more on AI is, like, proof that they'll never update on new technology. It'll always just be, like, the way the world is. Like, they move the goalposts that quickly. So I think we're mid-singularity right now. I think we're also, I think the metaverse is already here. I think people just have, they, they're picturing, like, something that's, like, too literally three-dimensional to, like, grasp the idea that, like, we already spend all of our time plugged into the metaverse. We just call it the internet instead. Um, And the word metaverse has now become like, well, you have to have like goggles on and it has to be like fully immersive. But like in your brain, it's already immersive when you're like scrolling TikTok, right? So we're already getting more and more atomized in a certain way because of that. And and so like basically like one one possible world is that everybody's basically living in their own server, essentially. Like if you go to a music festival right now and uh, you don't have any friends there, then, you know, there's a bunch of other humans that are there, but you're kind of having your own experience too. I can see a world where like we have some shared reference streams. Like there's some servers everyone goes into to like be together. And then the rest of the time we're just completely off. And around. that's basically what my life is like now. Like I don't spend I used to be like, well, I was CEO and I go to the office every day and I'm like with the you know, there's like the same, you know, 70 people that are there and I talk to them. And like now I just like read whatever's interesting to me and I travel the world full time. Um, and so I'm already having my own kind of experience. And I sometimes come back and I like, okay, I reconnect with you and we have a conversation about this, and I go back into my own like my own channel, my own algorithmic feed. And yeah, but I, I agree though in general, like there's gonna be more culture shock, you know, in the next like five years then yeah, we will have seen it a long time because nothing in the ancestral environment prepared us for this. Almost all of our training data as humans came from like millions of years of evolution of us just like roaming around in the savannah and like picking up fruit and occasionally throwing, you know, rocks at things. And now, like, how is that useful now? And there's all these weird like consequences of it too. Like for example, uh, like social media doesn't care what you did. It only cares what you say. And so in a certain sense, like social media is being completely dominated right now by talkers, not doers. Um and and so like talkers are like taking over the world. And that's just a weird byproduct of Twitter, which I think of Twitter as like sort of like an organism. Um it's like a it's like a living, breathing thing that has its own sort of consciousness and intentions and identities. And I'm not not saying that necessarily literally, but I mean it like it's I think it's useful to think of all these different networks as being like their own organisms and like they have their own goals, and they're not the same goals that that you as an individual have, or like we as like a society have. Um and I find that when I when I model them that way, it, it leads to kind of useful ideas.
0: What I love about you is you always you always know where things are going and you can kind of like almost close your eyes and, and picture a future. And I, I feel like it's all, it's very close to reality as a business builder yourself um, and as someone who's constantly thinking of startup ideas, um, where do you see a lot of opportunity to create startups in this AI you know, world that is being created? That's
1: a good question. Okay, so if you're trying to make money in AI, um, well, that's much harder um, than just making like awesome shit. Uh, there's like tons of like cool creative things you can make that will get a lot of eyeballs and attention. Um, I, I did too much of that in my past, so it's not interesting. It's not as interesting to me to like make something that goes viral, a lot of people see it and think it's cool because it doesn't convert in anything that like I care about now. Um, but yeah, if you just want to like make cool things that like a lot of people see and appreciate, you get a lot of like karma on the internet. Then there's like infinite things to do there. Um, if you want to make money, then probably the best way to do it right now is like. Basically, like, you want to start with, like, what is the most boring industry um, that, like, is the least sexy industry where the fewest people like you are interested in, in building businesses there? You have to start there. You have to build something for them. Um, by far the easy way to make money is to, like, just pick a boring industry. Like, handyman and, like, you know, lawn cleaning and, you know, things like that, right? So start with a boring industry um, and then figure out how to, like, use AI to help them solve a problem. Um, so for example, like, you know, Peter levels made Interior AI, you can like insert a picture of a room and it will like, you can choose whatever style you want. Um, and then it'll like make the room look nice with that style. And like, you can easily just take a model like that and like take a boring industry, like go to the real estate agents and just like use that model and just like send them photos and like charge them for it, you know, so they can like virtually stage their listings. Um, so some boring brick and mortar business that's doing something like the shitty old way and then just like help them. And you won't win any kudos from like the tech elite for doing it, but like, you will add value. That's, that's the best way to make money because those guys are still making money. And like I, from my house here, um, I've had, I still have to pay guys by cash and check, uh, in, in the year 20, you know, 23, uh, to do random home repairs. Um, and so if those guys still can't accept any form of digital payment, like imagine what else they're not doing with their business.
0: One way to think about it is how do you not become the number one product of the day on product hunt?
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You don't ever do anything on product
1: time. Like if, you're, if your marketing launch plan involves product times at all, don't do it. That's fiercely competitive. You're competing with all the other 20-something males who want to start a business. And there's so many 20-something males that are like technologically sophisticated enough to like do something. Like don't compete with them. Compete with a different market.
0: And and I know Ryan Hoover, the founder of product time is, is a listener of the show. So that's no shade on you, Ryan. <laughs> it's really just you know, there's some products that you do want to compete with and there's some products that you don't want to compete with. And I think that with AI specifically, because it's like, let's be real, it is a gold rush and there's going to be a lot of attention and resources being put into startups that are being created in that space. It's only natural that tech people build stuff for other tech people. And that's going to be high high competition. So I think your point around, you know, start with a, you know, What is something that you know, like maybe you, you know, have friends that are gardeners uh, or you have connections in the retail space. Um, Why don't you think about what are problems that you can solve for those people before solving problems for engineers, designers, product people? Exactly. Less competition. Best predictor of margins is competition. Where there's competition,
1: margins get compressed and almost everybody squeezes down to like a 5% profit margin over time. And so the only way to like increase that number is to find some sort of market that doesn't have competition. And AI plus boring brick and mortar business, especially if it's not like a big business, like something that's sort of atomized, like in every town, there's like a bunch of like, there's plumbers, there's electricians, there's HVAC guys, there's like local tax guys, there's a million of these local guys. And they they make like, you know, 50 to like 50,000 to like a couple million dollars a year. And um, their businesses can use AI. And they don't even need AI. Most of them just need like basic, like, I don't know, have you tried using any technology at all? Like have you tried using like, accepting PayPal, <laughs> like that level of sophistication, much less uh, needing AI. But AI for a lot of them will, will definitely add value.
0: So the first point that you made was using AI to basically go viral. And you said that there's like a million ideas for that. Um, last week on the show, I had someone, a friend of mine named Danny, who, who who had this model that he created using AI, it's called This Bottle Does Not Exist. I actually posted about it on Twitter. It went viral. It, you know, had over a million impressions. What sort of framework do you have for thinking about how do you create something that gets a lot of buzz and as you call it internet karma? Okay, yeah. I guess there's two ways.
1: One way is like you do this at scale versus you wanna just do one cool thing. So you wanna do one cool thing, the best recommendation I have there is like go look at all the other cool things people are doing. And then just like every time you see a cool thing, like go look at this model does not exist, um like open up a Google Doc right now and like set a timer for like 30 minutes and just try to come up with ideas that are similar to that, but a little different. So instead of saying this model does not exist, um delete the word model and then just like try inserting other words into it to come up with ideas for like this blank does not exist. And so you can start with like a list of English words or like the most common English words or like different industries or something as a tree. So like search for like a list of like business types or something and then just like insert those in and then generate like set a goal of generating a thousand ideas um, for like this blank does not exist. And like of those thousand, probably like 900 of them will be like garbage and like maybe 90 of them will be like mostly garbage and nine of them will be like maybe not garbage and one of them will be fucking awesome. And it'll just be like so obviously a good idea. So, so I would I would do something like that. And then, and then once you have a cool like this blank does not exist idea, then like try to build it. Right. And then you'll have to like play around with the technology. And uh, but it's not that hard anymore. But you know, it might take you like a few days to a few weeks, uh, maybe even a few months if you really have a lot of priors to install um, to do it. So so the easiest way to actually make something viral is like just copy something that already exists that's like viral and then just like modify it a bit. Basically, my mental model here is like if you just want to get attention, you should change it as little as possible from the original one. So for example, Danny did this model does not exist. Uh, and he has, like, an Instagram version of it, right? So if you want to do something that's, like, not nearly as cool, but, like, still is really easy to do, is, like, you can just take, like, the same idea, but instead of doing it on Instagram, you could do the same thing on a different platform, right? Like, you do, like, a TikTok version of it. Um, where you have to figure out how to like make it so it's not just a picture anymore. Um, it's a three D version, right? That's not that's 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 much harder, complex. You know, it's much more complex than what Danny's doing. Um, what Danny's doing isn't that complex. You know, like I think he said he he built it in like you know a few hours or a few days or whatever, right? So maybe it takes you a few weeks to do, but you can have like a you can have like a, a living, you know, breathing in a certain sense like three D version of a model that does not exist.
0: To your point on find something that works and remix it just a little bit, that's exactly what Danny did. So. There were a million AI generated models that existed, some of them that were successful, like Lil Michaela from from Brad, which has you know multiple millions of followers. But his riff on it was like there's a bunch of photos that get generated on a website. People upvote the most interesting ones, and the most interesting ones get posted on Instagram. So the community aspect around, hey, let's go and like vote on this and then people discuss it, right? And like sometimes the a- the funny part is like sometimes the AI sucks. And like one of the most voted images uh, last week was uh, the model's name is a two headed versions of A-List. And everyone's kind of like voting that up to post on Instagram because it's funny, right? So I think your 3D model idea is actually interesting. My issue with that is you want to also prioritize ease of creation so it's like how can you come up with a viral idea that isn't so hard to create and is only like marginally harder to create than what exists out there so i would be like okay maybe what does it look like to double down on social because right now he just says upvotes like maybe there's a whole comment section maybe there's like a whole social experience maybe it's just more interactive the other like idea i would have for a lot of folks if they're trying to go viral is how do you leverage IP that is existing that you can tap into those brands to create interesting AI offshoots, et cetera? So, you know, obviously someone like Disney has a ton of IP or, you know, your background in, you know, Harry Potter, right? Like, you know, how do you create like a Harry Potter world with AI and and offshoots? And, you know, maybe you tell stories, you know, new stories and you know, using uh, AI, etc. So I think there's a lot you can do there. That's how I think about it.
1: Yeah, I think another thing too is like basically most of the AI tools right now are chatbots, um, and chatbots are pretty obviously like just kind of the first step because it's really hard to like spontaneously think of a thing to say to a chatbot, um, and like, it's like bad UI. Most people don't use search for most forms of navigation, um, and so it's really obvious to me that like this is just kind of early days of AI. But it, what it's going to be is like first it starts with just a blank, you know, a blinking cursor in a search box where you have to like spontaneously think of what you want to ask the AI or what, what you want the AI to do, and then. Good UI, like best practices, will start to get embedded, and it'll start to just like let you click between like, okay, do you want to make an image that's like, um, like this kind of art or this kind of art? And You click on this kind of art, and then it goes into another, you know, and then you start clicking buttons, and then pretty soon you have like a cool piece of art at the end. So, uh, if you want to skate where the puck is going, just take all the chatbots. There's like a million chatbots now, right? There's like, oh, historical figures. You can talk to like a chatbot that's like a stor- like a chatbot of Socrates or a celebrity or whatever. Um, take those chatbots and then just start adding UIs that aren't quite so like open-ended. Like walk people's hand through the process more, so they don't have to like try to think of something from scratch to say. You could also like get distribution. So what I would do is like I would probably take like the idea of a chatbot instead of having it be where people have to interact with the chatbot by typing at it. Um, I would create like Twitter accounts and like Instagram accounts and stuff like that. And so for example, let's say Twitter accounts. So let's say that you have like a um like a Jordan Peterson uh, chatbot. Um, well Jordan Peterson has millions of fans, and most people don't want to interact with the chatbot though. So um use the use the Jordan Peterson trained <coughs> chatbot to like generate content, and then just like queue up like you know, 500 tweets that are like fake Jordan Peterson quotes, then people know, they know it's from a bot, right? It's like, like AI Jordan Peterson, and then do that for like a thousand other, you know, influencers and thought leaders, right? So create like a thousand different Twitter accounts that are all, that are tweeting quotes that are like where the AI version of them generated it. Um, And then some of them will go viral because they're just like, you know, like some quote that like Jordan Peterson says, is just like, it's like the fake, the AI Jordan Peterson says something that's like super like, Hilarious or whatever, and then it just goes viral, right? And and so so you could do that. You can do it with thought leaders. You can do it with celebrities. You can do that with anybody. But basically, the way that I'd start is like go look through all the existing AI tools. Um, there's a bunch of websites, a bunch of AI tools, and say like, okay, how could I use these to make content and like algorithmically generate a bunch of content, and then like create a feed that just tweets it. Like an example of this is there's a bunch of Twitter accounts um, that literally just tweet quotes from books, and they have tons of followers. Like you can, you can follow the Forty Eight Laws of Power bot. All that Twitter account does has like hundreds of thousands of followers. All it does is tweet quotes from the book Forty Eight Laws of Power. Um and there's a bunch of those Twitter accounts, and you can easily do that for like any book that has a big enough following. And but you can do the same thing with like AI generated content as well. Like there's like a bunch of different like there's like an AI magic card, you know, magic gathering card generator, and there's AI, you know, like Pokemon generators, and like just take those, like, and then just make social media accounts out of them where you t- where they tweet a lot or post less on Instagram or whatever. Um, and then you cross-promote them. So for example, you get one of the accounts, it starts to get big, like let's say Jordan Peterson when it starts doing well, and then you can like retweet your other accounts from that account. Um, so if you have like a, like, you know, like Joe Rogan, uh, like AI Joe Rogan bot, right. Uh, you can retweet it from the Jordan Peterson one to start getting people to find your other accounts. And then, um, this is like the classic way that people get big social followings. They get one big account and they start spinning up other like accounts that are kind of similar and they just cross promote it. Um, that, that's what I would do in general. Like, think chatbots are like web 1.0 and like 2.0 is going to be like interfaces on top of chatbots and make it easier. But if you want to go viral, just like take content and then just like make a bunch of social media accounts and like post a bunch of content. But try to make it so it's algorithmic. Try to make it so that you're not having to like do spend too much time like making your own content. Um, there's usually ways that you can automate yourself out of that if you're good at it. Um, like the way Danny did it is smart. Like Danny's like, oh, instead of having to pick the pick photo myself, I'll like automatically generate them and let people vote for the right ones, right? So you can do versions of that. There's lots of ways you can do that
0: it really just, my mind is just buzzing with ideas. It, it's kind of overwhelming. Um, and that's one of the reasons I actually created a, uh, a free AI community for people who are trying to like boost productivity. For folks who, who are interested in, in learning about tools and prompts and, and, and chatting about other uh, AI ideas, you can apply for it. It's free. I, I'll send it out in my newsletter. So uh, you can subscribe, just, you know, go on your phone or however you're listening to this, latecheckout.substack.com. Sign up to my newsletter. um I also send out uh the weekly episodes of the pod there, so I mean, if you're not subscribed, I don't know what you're doing. I include stuff like this, like launching the free community et cetera so and Emerson, you should get in there and post your tool. You said you had like you know prompts and tools that prompts, you use yeah. <laughs> so. You should, you should definitely... I'm so excited there. about
1: using AI for learn to learn purposes. Like, oh my God. It's just yeah. like a... It's a cornucopia of like exciting new... The, most of the tech is not quite there yet, but it's close. You know, like like AI summarizers, they're not quite there. Like barely... You try to use barely to summarize right. long articles, like it still kind of sucks. But like you get... Like it's so clearly not more than like months to like a few years away to where like it'll be able to... Sum- like really, really, really fucking tightly summarize like a long, complex like article into like a couple paragraphs. Um, and so, yeah, there's just i to be excited by. It.
0: I saw uh, the chairman of Alphabet. He he said yesterday that I guess he's getting a lot of pressure. Like, why doesn't you know Google and what you know? Why is Google quote unquote late to the game with with the Chat GPT competitor? And his response was basically like, "Oh, AI isn't there yet. It's one to two years away." <laughs> um, <laughs> oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oof. Exactly. Yeah, big oof. So, I mean, my take on that is, you know, it's a convenient thing to say. And, you know, how could you say that AI isn't there yet when ChatGPT has 100 million active users? Right. There's definitely a lot of demand. There's definitely a lot that is missing from AI but and some of these experiences. But it's still pretty cool and, and there's a lot going on. So, yep. just got to stay on it.
1: Yep. If you're a Web2 guy, just make UIs for AI like that's the problem right now it's still you have to type stuff that's so obviously like
0: what you're saying there is really like you know when you call an uber and there's like pre-filled like be right there's yes you're basically saying that right yep
1: exactly like make it so that people just have to click there's they only have a few buttons per screen that they can pick from uh and then like help them like with just a few button taps get to some outcome that they want they should never have to like type something in like typing should be like typing is almost always a sign of like a UI failure because most people don't have that many different use cases for whatever that product is so like just help them out by just giving them a few buttons that they can that they can tap
0: Emerson Sparks giga brain you know dropping knowledge um thanks for coming on thanks for sharing some wisdom where could people follow you criminally underfollowed as i mentioned where could they find you huh? Yeah, I'm still I'm still uh, mostly in
1: hermit mode right now. Um, at some point, I will uh, reemerge from the shadows uh, into the public eye a bit. Uh, but I do occasionally tweet. So Twitter would be the best. It's at uh, Emerson Spartz S P
0: A R T Z. And can you confirm you're not an AI?
1: Is there anything that I can say that would confirm that I'm not AI?
0: <laughs> That's true. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. To wrap. Thanks, man.